Well, good morning. Welcome to class number 52. This is a significant class. This is our final class. We're going to review question 51 together and then learn question 52. And then if you want gum for that question, you just have to send me a video or something. <laughs> so let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity that you've given us again today. So many, so many opportunities that you give us to, to learn about you, to learn your word. And we count it a privilege, so thank you. And now looking back, we thank you for all of these classes, this class in its entirety, all that we've been permitted and allowed to learn. Pray, God, that you would take all these truths and embed them deeply in our minds and in our hearts. I do pray especially for those who have been with us and are with us today, uh, who are little, who are young. And God, it's our heart, it's our heart and prayer that they would, as they grow up, that they would grow up and know you more deeply and love you more fully. And we pray that your word and all that we've looked into and all there is to look into would be like kindling in their soul. And as your spirit moves, that it would start a fire in them, a passion in them, affections in them for you. Reveal yourself to them and to us, we pray, more and more, so that we would all love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's go back to question 51. It asks, of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? And here's the answer, let's say it together. Christ physically ascended on our behalf just as he came down to earth physically on our account. And he is now advocating for us in the presence of his Father, preparing a place for us, and also sends us his Spirit. Okay, has anybody set their mind to memorizing question 51? Titus, question 51. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? I'm going to hook this around the pole. Sort of. <laughs> All right, Sam, of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? Okay, anyone else? All right, let's say it one more time together. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? Christ physically ascended on our behalf just as he came down to earth physically on our account. And he is now advocating for us in the presence of his Father, preparing a place for us, and also sends us his Spirit. 
Okay, that brings us to our 52nd and final question. What hope, what hope does everlasting life hold for us? Let's say it together. It reminds us that this present fallen world is not all there is. Soon we will live with and enjoy God forever in the new city, in the new heaven, and the new earth where we will be fully and forever freed from all sin and will inhabit renewed resurrection bodies in a renewed, restored creation. That is our hope. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Here's what J.C. Ryle has to say. Let us settle it then in our minds for one thing, that the future happiness of those who are saved is eternal. However little we may understand it, it is something which will have no end. It will never cease, never grow old, never decay, never die. At God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Once landed in paradise, the saints of God shall go out no more. The inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and fades not away. They shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Their warfare is accomplished. Their fight is over. Their work is done. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. They are traveling on towards an eternal weight of glory, towards a home which shall never be broken up, a meeting without a parting, a family gathering without a separation, a day without night. Faith shall be swallowed up in sight and hope in certainty. They shall see as they have been seen and know as they have been known and be forever with the Lord. I do not wonder that the Apostle Paul adds, this is from 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words. So let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, where words like this are given to us for comfort. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So that's Paul reminding the Thessalonians of what everlasting life holds for us. And then in the following verse, verse 18, after reflecting on that, he says to them, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are words of encouragement. So what hope does everlasting life hold for us? Let's look at this bit by bit. It reminds us that this present fallen world is not all there is. So the more we experience the fallenness of this present world, the more hopeful we are, the more eager we are for Christ to return, for us to be with Him forever. Sometimes we might be tempted to take our eyes off that hope when we're comfortable, uh, when we're um, relaxed in this world and we're enjoying the things of this world and it's going well and circumstances are fairly easy and there's not a lot of difficulty and we're not sick, our friends aren't sick, there's money in the bank, there's, there's health, there's whatever it is, all the troubles and worries of this world. We're, we're experiencing a degree of victory maybe over personal sin, you name it. And there will be seasons like that. And in those seasons, some of you have experienced that. We tend to take our eyes off of the eternal hope because we think everything's fine. Well, it reminds us that this present fallen world is not all there is. Soon, soon, I mean, even if you live another 80 years, that's soon. Some of you might. Or eight, you know. Soon, soon, because relatively speaking, right, against the backdrop of eternity, that's a very short period of time. Very short. And everybody, no matter how long you've lived, right, me at 42, you look back on those years that you've lived, and it's gone by how quickly? In the blink of an eye. Quickly. So soon... Soon we will live with and enjoy God forever in the new city, in the new heaven, in the new earth, where we will be fully freed, fully freed. Sin will have zero power control over us. Sin will have zero appeal to us. We will be fully and forever freed from all sin, and will inhabit, so will live new, renewed, resurrection bodies. So we'll have new bodies, and those new bodies will be in a 
new earth, in a renewed, restored creation. So it will be paradise regained, paradise restored. So let me read you some of the things that Timothy Keller says. This is also in the commentary that accompanies the catechism. Tells us a couple things, and he says, first, this question answers and says that we are going to enjoy God forever. Because God is triune within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been glorifying each other, delighting in each other, adoring each other, loving each other. Therefore, God within himself has infinite joy. And we were created to share in that joy. We were created to glorify him and to participate in that glory and joy. But none of us, even the strongest Christians today, have ever experienced what that joy is. Think about that. It's true. We've never experienced what that kind of joy is. Perfect, cosmic, infinite, endlessly growing. Because all of us worship and adore other things. Someday we will be freed from sin. And then we will know and experience that glory and joy. We will enjoy Him that way forever. And then second, we will enjoy Him forever in the new city, in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth. We will experience this cosmic joy not in a purely immaterial condition, but rather we will be in a restored material creation like Look around us, but perfect, but perfect. A new earth with no sin, therefore no effects of sin. We will have resurrection bodies like Jesus' body, physical bodies. We've learned that in our study of Corinthians. We'll have physical bodies. And what that means is, as Christianity envisions, the body and the soul the physical and the spiritual are together in perfect harmony forever. No other religion envisions that. We will not float about as disembodied spirits, but we will dance. We will march. We will hug. We will be embraced. We will eat and we will drink in the kingdom of God. It means all of our deepest longings will be fulfilled. All of our greatest sorrows will be swallowed up. All of our deepest longings will be fulfilled. And all of our greatest sorrows will be swallowed up. That's the hope. Let's say it one more time together. The question is, what hope does everlasting life hold for us? It reminds us that this present fallen world is not all there is. Soon we will live with and enjoy God forever in the new city, in the new heaven, and the new earth, where we will be fully and forever freed from all sin and will inhabit renewed resurrection bodies in a renewed, restored creation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this hope that you've given us, this hope of everlasting life. I pray, God, that in those seasons and times 
when we are in tune with the fallenness of this world, whether it be sin without or sin within, when we're suffering, when we're sorrowful over our sin, when we're frustrated with our weaknesses, when we're hurt by what we see happening to others and what we see happening in this world, when we're discouraged, when we despair, when we feel inadequate, all these effects, God, of sin in this world, we pray that in those times you would remind us of this everlasting hope that we have, that one day all of our sorrows will be swallowed up and all of our deepest longings will be fulfilled in you and with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And God, would you also help us as we're in this sinful world and experiencing the effects of sin, and yet it is easy for us, God, to forget how desperate we are. It is easy for us to forget how dependent we are on you. It is easy for us to lose sight of how bad we are, how sinful we are, how needy we are. It is easy for us to enjoy the things of this world so much and your blessing and your gifts so much that we forget that all these gifts are from you. We forget that all these gifts that you've given us are only a foretaste of what's to come and it should make us want to be with you in heaven forever to have more of those longings and desires fulfilled but help us God when we lose sight of that when we settle for the trinkets of this earth when we give ourselves to enjoying and delighting in the things of this world family, friends, treasures relaxation entertainment friendship And in that, God, we enjoy them as ultimate treasures. Keep us from that, God. Remind us of our everlasting hope that is to be united with you physically in the new heavens and the new earth. Until that day, keep us, we pray. We know you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.